Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diet Time is here. That's right, we're talking the 2009 reboot of Friday the 13th on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from the ruins of Camp Crystal Lake. And this is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the gory detail of 2009's Friday the 13th in the hopes that a topless water border's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust to wear the brooch of my dead mother, the one and the only Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing, Gina? Well, I, I'm speaking to you from my island retreat that I was able to purchase with the the money we have made from our Patreon account. Oh, my goodness. Well, you are living very high on the hog, and this comes as a great surprise to me. I, I just, you know, oh, you, you haven't started building your, your money room yet? Uh, no, no, I... I no, the, the checks have not really come to me yet. So I, I'm should I be checking the mailbox more often? Is, you, you is that how it works? You should be, and, and you should be getting fitted for your comical old-timey bathing suit that you can do a nosedive into your, <laughs> into your big pile of gold coins. Well, I look very good in a monocle, and especially good when it pops out and I, when I become surprised. So I'm very much looking forward to this change of fortune in my life. So you're just, all you're waiting for is that, that giant check for someone to, to roll up in front of your house. That's right. If we can get one of the showgirls from The Price is Right to present it, even better. I have to get something off my chest here, Gina. I don't know if you've noticed, but we are not alone. That is right. We have a special guest. He is a writer and editor for the very brand new edition of Fangoria, which drops this month. And he also is the author of a new book, Our Lady of the Inferno, which is out now wherever fine books are sold. The one, the only, Preston Fossil. How are you doing, Preston? Oh, well, thank you. And uh, thank you for having me on. I'm very happy to have you here. Uh, we're, we're so excited for the new edition of Fangoria. Gory, and I can't wait to dig into your book. And I also happen to know that you appear to be the resident Friday the 13th fan of the current Fangoria staff. Um, that, that's what I've been told. Uh, now, Phil Nobile Jr., our editor-in-chief, uh, is also... Uh Got a lot of affection for the series, but uh, among the crew in the office, uh, I think that I am the only one who can boast as vast a collection of Friday the 13th merchandise and uh, love for the series as I can. Yeah, you have a, a vast mask collection. Is that something that you have purchased or you have created yourself? I have created. I uh, purchased the uh, ABS blanks and then I uh, cut and drilled a couple of them, uh, a few of them where I was a little bit more particular about how I wanted them to look. I had somebody else do the drilling for me after a few snafus uh <laughs> but then i uh, i did paint them all myself like i can boast that the, the wow. paint jobs are completely mine as a matter of fact the part four mask i painted and stripped four different times and actually on the last time I ended up giving myself chemical burns with the paint stripper and after after that my wife told me i wasn't allowed to make hockey masks anymore <laughs> that is a common complaint from most wives you, you don't put the, the dishes in the dishwasher properly. Why don't you take out the trash? Stop making hockey masks. We've all heard it. 
Well, that's awesome. So now what uh, we have a small tradition here at the, the kill by kill podcast. We always ask our guests what their first experience was with the Friday the 13th franchise. So what was yours? And uh, that, that's really cool for me because Friday the 13th actually constitutes one of my earliest memories. I was born in 85. And, uh, when I was, uh, I'm saying when I was very small, I mean, all throughout my childhood, I used to go to the grocery store with my mother. And uh, from the time that I was two until I was 11, we lived in Missouri and we uh, would go to this grocery store called Deerberg's. And they had the, uh, the video store at the front of the grocery store just past the checkouts. And the wall of the video store was decorated with all of these massive posters. I don't know if they were like special orders for the store, or if they blew them up or what, but they were bigger than your average size movie posters. And one of my earliest memories is standing in line with her at the checkout at Deerberg's and looking ahead and seeing the poster for Jason Takes Manhattan. And that became this uh, this strange formative experience for me. Uh, and then years later, another grocery store in St. Louis Schnooks, they had this vast video game section. And again, I found the box for the, the much lamentable NES Friday the 13th adaptation. And <laughs> and again, it was this, this very strange experience for me this there is something that seemed off and wrong about it and what's this like skull face wearing a hockey mask with an axe what am i seeing and it's stuck in my imagination for years to come so what was the actual film that that you actually ended up watching first the very first film I saw was Freddy versus Jason. And that's cool, too, because that is one of the very first movies that I went to the theater to see by myself after I had gotten a driver's license and, you know, could go out and do things on my own. And uh, I had not at that point actually seen any of the Friday the 13th films, but I knew that this was the seminal horror experience and I knew that I would regret it forever if I missed out on it. And at the time, I was living in a town called Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and uh, it was in between being this small town where you literally drove through cow pastures to get to the grocery store. And today, it's the fourth largest city in the state of Oklahoma. After they put the highway through, it exploded. But <laughs> back in you know the early 2000s, it was still a small town, very conservative town, and I could not find any of the Friday the 13th movies at the video stores. Uh, if you wanted to watch horror movies at that time in Broken Arrow, you worked for that and you found the video stores that carried them and you knew where to get the good tapes at, but could not track any Friday the 13th down. But even still, I said, you know, as a horror fan, this is something you have to do. You have to be able to say that you were there in the theater when Freddy fought Jason. And so I went and saw this movie and, you know, have that memory now. <laughs> That is a very triumphant tank on having gone to the theater to see Freddy versus Jason, a movie in which someone uses a gay slur to describe Freddy Krueger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that I'm super looking forward to covering that one and however much time it, it takes us to get through the Nightmare on Elm Street series. I enjoy the triumph in which you tell that story. That's I really enjoy that. Oh, it was a fantastic experience. <laughs> Much better than my first uh, in-theater experience uh, watching a full Friday the 13th uh, movie. I did sneak in for a moment 
to watch uh, Friday the 13th 3D when it was playing opposite the same theater as playing Jaws 3D uh, and they used the same glasses. Uh, I saw Jason Goes to Hell and was very confused for a multitude of reasons. <laughs> Some of which we talked about in the six or so episodes it took us to get through it. And so that brings us to the 2009 reboot of Friday the 13th. But uh, I'm sure everyone is asking themselves at home, well, who, Patrick, who's still left alive? It's time for a quick body count. Let's just check my notes and everyone. Everyone is alive. <laughs> Except Donnie. Except for Donnie. Uh, he's fucking a mannequin in the great mannequin fuck spot in the sky uh, a mannequin named gina that's beautiful <laughs> that's a great triumph i'm so glad that this could be the way you were honored by the series gina that's yeah i, I it's, i'm gonna carry that with me for the rest of my life <laughs> uh and so uh with that we have managed to eliminate almost no one who matters at all in the majority of this movie. So great job. Of course, uh, when we left the 2009 reboot of Friday the 13th, it was at a very important moment, uh, something that could only be described in meme language in that you need to get you a man who looks at you the same way Jason looks at himself with a hockey mask on. <laughs> yeah, there is definitely a, a, you know, finally I've got the perfect haircut. <laughs> This is going to change everything. He does have the kind of hairline that benefits from a hockey mask. It's it's high in a way. <laughs> That's an aspect of this design of Jason that I actually appreciated. I think they should play around with more kind of mangy hair looks for him. The, 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 the shaved head is cool for different iterations, but as long as they're mixing things up, you know, skull at Jason. I, I'm behind that decision. <laughs> well, Jason X, he had uh, like, it looked like a bunch of like Brillo pads stuck to his head, which is, which is strange and inexplicable. Yeah, it looks like he owned a pizza pizza parlor <laughs> but did not operate a pizza parlor simply owned owned the building owned the business but he doesn't want to get his hands dirty that's a very specific character description it really is he owns i don't the pizza parlor. I, he does not work in the pizza parlor it may be vaguely racist so i'm probably in a lot of trouble uh We'll probably leave that where that is, um, but let's get right back into it uh, in that um, let's cut to the titular lake uh, where Nolan uh, is nagging a girl he just met named Chelsea and her extremely shiny legs about uh, water skiing in a boat which is an activity that was strictly forbidden to him by Trent. And I'm confused as to, it's almost feels like there's a weird edit here. He's either negging her in that, why won't you steal this boat with me? You're too inhibited, which is mm, stealing and an inhibition are not the same things. Or is he trying to get her to water ski topless and, and negging her with her inhibitions that I can see. And also I dislike. There's a lot of, nudity in this in this in this uh, Friday the 13th like a lot like way more than I expected for for 2009 era horror at this point I, I kind of thought they'd started like uh was this a rated this had to have been rated R right oh yes absolutely because all right because this was um this was kind of around the time where I was sort of laying low from horror for a little while I kind of gotten burned mm -hmm. out and I had assumed that they either were like the super extreme hostile kind of horror or or 
everything's sort of watered down PG-13. And then I watched this and I didn't know what this was rated. And I'm like, oh, there's a lot of boobs in this. <laughs> like almost every female character shows her boobs at some point. And and, and like, and, and I don't, you know, you know, far from me to accuse of it being gratuitous. But there was a couple of shots where we're just like, yeah, you know, we need to fit in one more boob shot in the, in the, in this scene. It It is a lot of female nudity. And what I only ask of it is that I would like to see more commiserate male nudity you hire a bunch of hunks and then they all keep their shirts on and dick casablanca's fucking shows up in this exact sequence sequence and he takes off his shirt but the camera remains at this chaste head and shoulders commercial level on him like oh we don't want to see his chest yes we do (laughs) some of us would like to see his wang but like, show us, you hired a bunch of man meat, and then you don't really pay that off. I, I think the only bare chest on a dude we see in this section of the film is, is on Trent, which is fine. It, it's fine. It's fine. I mean, Trent's more like a, a hair attraction. I don't want to see Trent naked any more than I want to see a Backstreet Boy naked. It just doesn't seem... <laughs> I realize that they're all like in their thirties and forties now and it's perfectly legal. I, I still don't want to see that. But they're so dreamy, Gina. Come on. They, they just want it that way. Completely hairless, which is always upsetting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Um, So it's just a quick rule of thumb for you uh, filmmakers out in the audience. If a couple issue a challenge to one another, the audience should know what that challenge is. Just, just try it sometimes and inform your audience. It doesn't have to be belabored, but I'd like to know it anyways. Well, you know, lucky for him, she apparently is an Olympic level topless water skier. <laughs> I mean, she's like doing tricks and jumping around and like, so like, and it's like, and you know, it, maybe at some point, and again, I, I attribute this to to bad editing that maybe she had mentioned, oh, I used to water ski, you know, whereas he's like kind of there, hey, you know, let's, I'll bet you can't water ski, and then lo and behold, you know, here she is, like, you know. You're doing like uh, you know you Florida tourist attraction stunt jumps and all, <laughs> and her boobs do back. not move. It's impressive. They no, stay no, they absolutely one hundred percent in place. <laughs> they they do not. They don't move on her. They don't move on her stunt double who is doing the vast majority of the waterboarding tricks. Um, but I can't I can't really blame her or look down on her for water skiing topless. I myself. The vast majority of the times I've water skied, topless. So, but what was there we the go. boob sitch? Were they in place or were they like? Oh, they were in place. They are. They were taut. They were mm, firm, very firm, to the point where you're not sure that it. Okay, mm, you could have. I mean, a little bounce goes a long way, but fine. I don't listen. We don't need to get into body shaving here. This is what happens when you you go to to P- pa- Panama to get your boobs done, Patrick. We talked about this. There's the supposed was, to be a natural movement to them. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, Gina and Preston. If you don't remember this, I'm going to remind you. Is that because this young woman was a pop star, and she blamed the sinking of her music career on 9-11. Okay. 
thought you were gonna say she she blamed us thinking of her career on a bad boob job. <laughs> that may have happened while the music career was happening. All I'm saying is, based on the music videos that I have watched, she was primarily an ass focused artist. I mean, did she have like it was one of those things where her like her her album cover had like a you know the World Trade Center with a plane flying into it or something <laughs> like one of those badly timed or like you know cookie monster taking a bite out of it or something <laughs> I, i'm not that i'm aware i have not tracked that down let's cut to clay and jenna where we get uh this bad monster hunters backstory it's different than the, all the other backstories of bad monster hunters we've seen before uh turns out he has bailed on his mom and sister to grow his hair out wild and free without the constraints of family or the illness of a woman who gave birth to you to hold you back. So it looks great. His hair looks awesome. Uh, also, he may be a terrible person. Like every other <laughs> character in this movie. Yes, but I feel like the what they're going for here is to make Clay appear relatable or you under, like he he just, he it was a family situation he just couldn't deal with and he left and he, he regrets it now and he's willing to admit that he did a bad thing. But it also makes him kind of look like a dick. Not an active dick like Trent, but you're like a passive dick. And you know, there's something I wonder about with this one, because as the series started to get into his later entries back with the original Paramount films, they kind of started to theme them. And number six is kind of like the universal monster Friday the 13th. And then number seven is Jason versus Carrie. And then number eight is Jason takes a cruise. And this one, I almost feel like on some level, conscious or subconscious, they were doing Brett Easton Ellis writes Friday the 13th. And... (laughs) And I'll buy the, it. <laughs> the, the, the thing that really, the thing that really gets me thinking that maybe there's some degree of intentionality to it is the two characters are named the two main guys are Clay and Trent, and those are two of the main guys in Less Than Zero are Clay and Trent. It's Clay. Oh my god! And yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, simmering class rage between uh trent yes. and 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 chewy and his friend and, and and my favorite scene has to do with with chewy just getting it out of his system in the in the the storage room that looks like the you know, the back of the room of a dick sporting good <laughs> uh yeah there is a lot of uh class struggle uh going on here i mean in the last episode we were openly wondering how the Jason Voorhees economy is benefiting Crystal Lake because everyone seems to just sweep his murder sprees underneath the carpet. I guess because they don't pay much in property tax. I don't really know how it works, but it seems like everyone was in on it was part of this, but it could also be that there's this overclass of rich people who don't want to live in a place that might be known for a long string of murders. And so they just don't talk about it. Oh, I figure it's because Jason grows all that sweet ass weed and they don't want to kill a good thing they got going. But how is how does his weed sales filter back into the local economy? Well, I figure they're buying it. <laughs> <laughs> It's, not, it's like a quality thing. It's like if there's a if there's a local shop that makes a great Italian sandwich, you go there. You don't go to fucking Subway. Yeah, like exactly. You, okay. And if, oh, the, if the owner of that sub shop occasionally kills some people, that's just the cost of doing business. 
again, that Italian deli owner that I was talking about earlier. See, it, it all comes back around. It's like Mrs. Lovett's pies in, in, in Sweeney Todd. You know, it's kind of, you know, quietly assume that everybody knows what's going on. But, you know, they're so successful and they taste so good. I think pound for pound, this is a better written and acted scene than the uh, quote unquote, I was a bad boy sequence from part seven. Although I do wish that Melinda, uh, that Melissa were sneaking around the woods spying on them in neon blue with her white cowboy boots on, which <laughs> no one notices. Right in. <laughs> There's no way you could notice her in the bluest of blue outfits with white boots on. The woman is wearing pearls to spy on people. <laughs> God, I miss Melissa. She was the fucking best. Yeah, Trent Trent is but a a, a poor facsimile of the, the the asshole rich kid who who you know claims to be everybody's friends, but really just you know they seem to hate everybody and everybody seems to hate them in kind, which is very odd because you were saying the whole thing with the uh, with Clay kind of piecing out with his sick mom and his sister, I, and this is a problem that often comes up in the Friday Thirteenth movies. Is I have no idea how old these characters are supposed to be. They could be anywhere from 18 to 30. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, you 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 exactly how old was Clay's sister when he when he left her behind to take care of their <laughs> sick mother together by yeah. herself. He uh, he is uh, you one would assume he is the older brother of these two. Right. But uh, so he left his younger sister to take care of his sick mom? Oh, he's supposed to be a hero. I mean, I guess it's nice that he is complicated and he is obviously coming to terms with this. So dramatically, I understand it. But as a person just watching it in a short segment and thinking about it way too hard. It's like, hey, wait a minute. You're kind of a jerk. (laughs) You're kind of a wiener. Also, you can really tell he's not trying to get into Jenna's pants because, first of all, she doesn't have any. Secondly... (laughs) Uh, this is not a way to woo anyone of the same or opposite sex that I'm aware of to give them the old, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, show up at my mom's funeral, but I didn't. That is not a panty peeler right there. Oh, you don't think that, you know, talking about moms with cancer isn't like absolutely first date conversation. <laughs> no, you hold on to that one for the second. I'm pretty sure. I don't know. I haven't dated in a really long time. I don't know about the two of you, but a girl tells me that she abandoned a dying family member and didn't attend the funeral. I'm ready to go. <laughs> it's like, wow, you just do not give a shit at all. <laughs> I like that a person. <laughs> that's a girl you take home to mom and then don't expect her to stick around because she does not have a track record of that. Uh, let's cut back uh, to the water skiing sequence where after 23 years, we finally get a decent in movie song uh, tick, tick boom by the hives. So there you go. In uh, all the Friday the 13th franchise, we have three ladies and gentlemen, three good songs. It probably cost half their budget to get a... No, because 2009, I think the highs weren't really a thing anymore by that point. (laughs) Tick, Tick, Boom did did very well for them. That's practically their jock jam. They were were a little more 2001 to 2003, I I, I think. So it probably didn't cost quite half the budget to secure the rights to use it. Right. Well, it was not exactly the freshest track. Do you think any of those people in, in that hunting lodge really listened to the hives? 
No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, if it comes on the radio, they would listen to them. But no, they're, maybe Chewie has it. Trent and uh, and all them. Yeah, they're the type of guys that that, that listen to Yacht Rock, ironically, except mm. not really. Mm. <laughs> yeah. The, the people who think that Brandy, Brandy. you're a fine girl, is a Yacht Rock song because it mentions the ocean. Uh, those fucking noobs. <laughs> Listen to Beyond Yacht Rock, people. Get educated. All right. So, um, I personally, I think she's a fantastic topless water skier. Now, I'm here's something else I'm going to admit to. All right. I can be vulnerable too and admit terrible things about myself. I would not, under any circumstances, water ski bottomless. And I don't care how many Patreon funders we get. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to expose my balls to oncoming waves and water. It just have you, have, have you have you ever fallen into like a pool and you land around that sweet spot on your stomach and it just feels like you're dying? It just feels like it just feels like you know God's hand has just come right down, just slapped you <laughs> so hard. Imagine just doing that that you're being pulled behind a boat at like 65 miles per hour. I'm not gonna take that kind of nut shot. No, thank you. It's a pass. Um, a loincloth. Can we get you to do a loincloth? Well, yeah, um, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm recording in right now. It's a loincloth. It just allows me a freedom of movement. Preston, I'm assuming you're also uh, recording in a loincloth. I didn't think we were supposed to wear anything. Okay. This is a a worry-free zone. Just need to be who you are. I'm, um, I'm, I'm wearing my my Mrs. Roper caftan, so I, I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. But that's the sexiest of all garments, so I think you're okay there. No, I've got to correct that. It was Mary Hartman's pinafore. That is the pinnacle of 1970s uh, erotic domesticity. I think it's mortuary um, where everyone is wearing sweet-ass nightgowns and that everyone Oh, like the granny, the hottest of nightgowns. The granny gowns, where like every inch of your body, from like neck to toes, is covered in flannel. Yes, but they're (laughs) very thin. It shows you everything, and yet shows you nothing. Watch Mortuary, everybody. It's very long and occasionally fun, uh, especially when people are wearing nightgowns. It also has a very unconvincing uh, sex scene that they shot very late in the game because they shot it two years apart. Oh Um, shit! We need a sex scene. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Cut to Gay Joke Central. Oh, I'm sorry. I wrote that down wrong. Let's cut back to the cabin of doom where Trent, Lawrence, Chewie, and Bree are all playing beer pong. Um, At one point, we learned that the loser of this round of beer pong must shoot the boot where you drink a beer out of a dude's shoe. And having next door neighbors that currently play beer pong, I can tell you... It sucks. <laughs> Fuck you, beer pong. Is this, it's a hot is, take. Wait, 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 wait. You have neighbors who play beer pong? Their college-age sons oh. Oh, have okay. a tendency to come home when they are off at the lake, and they spend all weekend in a driveway playing beer pong, and I live in a house that's mostly windows And so I get to hear it as if it is happening right next to me. And it is not interesting as something you just want to hear. And there's not enough beer I can drink on my end to make it enjoyable. And I wish they would stop. 
I, I was going to say that, I mean, actually playing beer pong isn't all that interesting, let alone <laughs> watching other people play beer pong. It is not a spectator sport, nor is it a participant I mean, sport. I, I you know, remember the days of my youth playing, getting through one round and letting everybody take their turn. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to watch Enter the Dragon. <laughs> you made the right choice. And so uh, Trent uh, loses and then refuses to shoot the boot. He's the worst kind of weenie. He's always talking big and then backing out and banking that you will still fuck with him anyways because, I don't know, he looks like Tom Cruise during his long hair phase. I don't fucking know because he's rich. He's an asshole. And I know he's meant to be. It's, it means that the characterization is effective. He's very effective and, and effective in the sense that you are just counting down the minutes it's like, okay, he's not making it. He's not making it to the end of this movie. If the screenwriters really, really wanted to fuck with us, they would have let him live. <laughs> oh, how, how amazing would it have been if everybody else dies and he is our final boy and it comes down <laughs> to this battle between him and Jason? I would respect, I would respect that game to be honest with you, because it, uh, because it, it would mean they were really defying expectations and they, and they meant to do it all along. Here's what I want. He either lives till the, all the way till the end, or he gets a death on par with Melissa's, which is particularly brutal and rough. And then she gets thrown behind a TV, like a cat you don't like, and, or maybe a cat in a diner that you're closing down. Like in part five, I, I want his death to be particularly brutal. And so I'm on pins and needles, uh, waiting for that to happen. Uh, cause we watch it in segments. We don't watch the whole thing. So yeah, I'm right there with you. Chewy, uh, drinks the beer inside the shoe because he is the best of us. <laughs> Chewy is Chewy is absolutely one of my favorite characters in the whole series. I, w- I would say that that this one as a whole ranks on the lower half of the scale for me. But Chewy is such a great character, and just so like the only the only one of these characters that even resembles an actual fun- an actual human being that I would <laughs> imagine encountering in real life. Uh, he is very engaging in this role and he is very funny. He seems very natural in a setting where some people don't appear natural at all. Uh, I, I like him. Um, he's also in, a, uh, in this scene with a character we have not discussed at all yet. Uh, her name is Bree and she, let me check my notes here. She has very white teeth and has said three things in the entire film so far. So, that's Brie, everybody. I, I Hi, made Brie. A, I made a note. I said that she kind of looks like a sleazy Olsen twin. <laughs> uh, now, that sounds like a great compliment, to be honest with you. Yeah, I was she, thinking. She, her, her, her primary purpose seems to be just waiting for the opportunity to get Trent alone. And I'm like, why? He's not He's not somebody that, that you need to to be, you know, biding your time until you get a chance alone with him. But I mean, her, her primary contribution to the movie is doing a dance that sort of like sort of reminds me of the dance in um, Death Proof, where it's just her mm-hmm. just, just sw- swiveling her hips nonstop like Steven Tyler in an Aerosmith video for, for about what feels like 20 minutes straight. <laughs> and then she gets an equally, then she equally gets an equally endless sex scene. Um, it reminded, you read my mind. Uh, it reminded me of the sexy dance in the original Wicker Man. 
<laughs> where she where she bumps and grinds with her hands up against the door for what seems like forever, while the most 1972 of music plays in the background, and the policeman sits baffled next to a candle made out of a hand. It's the Wicker Man, looking, everybody. Looking kind of awkward as anybody would in that situation. <laughs> Meanwhile, let's cut back to uh, that awesome Hives track that's been placed in this movie two years late. And uh, Chelsea dips her nose into the water, takes a spill. It's a very technical waterboard talk. So if anyone needs me to break that down for the uninitiated, I can. She fucking falls. Uh, Nolan spins the boat around and out of nowhere, gets an arrow through his head for his trouble. R.I.P. Nolan, you were a wild and crazy uh, guy. We haven't had a good old-fashioned, we haven't had a good old-fashioned arrow to the head since part three? Three, yeah, three. And that's through the eyeball, too. Yeah, this is, this is a straight up through the skull. So that arrow was cooking. Now, are we splitting hairs? I, I like, I like this one though because it's it's, it's a jump it's, it's it's a nice jump scare. It is out of nowhere, Preston. Oh, I was saying it's it's a spear in part three, right? Have we seen a like oh, a legitimate? That's true. We haven't seen yeah. a legitimate arrow before, so I think this is his first crossbow crossbow kill in the series. Yeah, you're right. That is a spear gun. He he got his patch and crossbow shooting. <laughs> Later in in when when uh, they're searching the cabins, they do happen upon a uh, uh, an archery uh, trophy that someone has won. So apparently, archery was a big thing at Camp Crystal Lake, and he really learned how to do it very well. For a CGI arrow and blood situation, I think it's brief enough that it works. If you pause it, it really does look fake, but I think in motion it works well enough. But Please, for the love of Christ, if you have a situation where a guy is just going to turn around with an arrow in his head, put a fucking arrow in his head. <laughs> have makeup come over and put a fuck. This is technology we have had for quite some time. <laughs> they had gratuitous nudity to get to. They couldn't take the time to apply makeup. There That's were clothes true. to be shed. <laughs> they had they had uh, priorities different than this. Speaking of nudity out of nowhere... Once Ryan Hansen leaves this movie for us to cry about wishing that he would reemerge, we get a shot of Chelsea uh, floating around in the water and we get a Jaws style underneath shot for reasons. Am I to believe that Jason is down there like the creature of the Black Lagoon? This is a very weird shot. Uh, is it supposed to make her seem alone? She is alone in the middle of a lake waiting for a boat. I don't need an underneath shot. They wanted you to know they have seen a movie. <laughs> he really wants us to know he's seen a movie. Anyways, Chelsea does not swim away from a boat that's speeding at her. And she takes a shot to the head from that boat, which is not being controlled by humans since Nolan is dead. Uh, that should kill her. Like she should be dead instead yeah, she's that's that's pretty it's a pretty gnarly scene it's like one of those like you know oh crap well i'm, I'm a pretty good swimmer but i think that you know the minute you're a little disoriented i mean you're just you're just sinking like a stone no she would be drowning like th- there there's no way you can take a boat clipping along at that pace to the to the head and still be like oh what happened why would you do that that's mm-mm. 
No, come on. Mm. That this is this is where the unnecessary cruelty gets in the way of the storytelling. We don't need her to be dazed by a boat out of control, to be freaked out by Jason Voorhees on the shore. That 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 is not a necessary element to this to make it happen, and yet they insist upon it anyways. Um, I don't know. It's it's not. It's just it become like why? What does it add to get hit by this boat? I, I just I don't. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. At least I'll get to this when we when we wrap up the whole movie. I'm just. I'm not a fan of this. You know, super amped up, extra cruel Jason. I just just kill people and be done with it. You don't have to, <laughs> you don't have to prolong. You know, tormenting and hurting these people that you don't even know. Yeah, um, that that's an aspect of the this particular Jason I didn't care for either. He's very perfunctory in most of the other films. He's Around the time that this movie came out, another uh, user on IMDb, I think, summed it up very succinctly. He's not a torture killer. And this is a very kind of torture killer Jason. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially like when we're going to get to in this episode, what he does to Chewie. It's just like, oh, man, that come, no, come on. Is that necessary? No, come <laughs> on. Yeah, he's pretty much had two modes throughout most of his uh, on-screen life. And that is he's a sneaky slasher who stealthily climbs stairs like a ninja from the outside, or he's an intimidator. He just shows up and kills you where you happen to be. No fuss, no muss. So I guess my question to the both of you is, none of us seem to care for the um, cruel Jason, but do you care more for stealth slasher Jason or intimidator Jason? You know, I I, I kind of like just the Jason just kind of you know just appears leaping through a window or something. And I, I I like that. I'm I'm not a huge fan of jump scares, but I think that they they work pretty well in the context of a Friday the Thirteenth movie. Okay, uh, Preston, what say you? However, you would classify parts four and six, Jason. I think that that was the perfect uh, between those two is the perfect Jason. Well, I, I would I would say I, I would say that part four he's more of a stealthy slasher, although he does have freight train elements, and I really like that part. But part six, he's like Godzilla or Frankenstein. He doesn't sneak up on people. If you happen to be in his way, you end up dead. <laughs> like someone running away from Godzilla's foot. He just is on a path and you're in the middle of it, so bye-bye you go. Um, so I think you like it both ways and I'm going to allow it, Preston. All right. <laughs> in, in, both of those, in both of those situations though, or scenarios, it's not, I, I hate to say it, put it this way, but it's nothing personal. He just, yes. you know, he just kills everything in his path, which I, I can respect that. But, mm. but you know, in this one, there's a sort of like you extra dose of animosity there that just, you know, it, it feels like something is missing from the script like you know, were these people related to the people to the counselors that let him drown why why is it you know, matter to him that not only these people die they die in the most awful prolonged way imaginable now the weird thing is Gina is that in this watch of this i saw something that i just it, it didn't really register with me much before and that is when it is revealed that there's a massive series of infrastructure tunnels underneath this abandoned sleepaway camp 
where they have giant iron doors because I don't know it doubled as a smelting plant. I hate when it. They were- I hate it so much. <laughs> I, I hate. I hate this. This. You know. How can we make Jason even more repulsive? I got it. Let's have him hold young women chained up in his underground rat-filled labyrinth. Where the fuck did he get shackles? Did he run down to the corner store and pick up the shackles and everyone has there? Why is he there? holding captives? He's never uh, he's because, never done that. Th- I, I don't want to be I don't want to be one of those mm-hmm. it's not canon people, but that's not canon. Well, I'm I'm fine with them changing canon in the sense like I'm fine with him having a series of underground tunnels to explain him popping up somewhere. He's not teleporting. He's got underground tunnels. Fine. Fine. I'm fine with that. It's the keeping a woman hostage for no particular reason. And then this scenario in which he has a flashback to the death of his mother and he gets soups angry. He gets to get real aggro and he's only calmed down by the cameo that she's wearing uh, of his dead mom. Now we get a a flashback to part two because she was actually in the part two part of this movie because it's four different Friday the 13th movies rolled into one. Um, but I don't remember a Jason flashback to his mom dying that he has. Storytellers have it. The movie does saga cells where we see it, but I don't remember any filmic device in which Jason remembers his mom dying until now. There's a lot of weird tonal shifts. When, they're, when Clay and Jenna are sneaking around Camp Crystal Lake, they find a good half dozen of these old-timey 1880 dolls stuffed places. And it's like, where did these come from? Where, where does this movie take place? Is this really just the Texas Chainsaw set doubling for Friday the 13th? Yeah, I was going to say. Because that's also the little, vibe they're giving. There's also a little, yeah, there's also a little touch of when, they're, when he's just coming back with the body lugged over his shoulder like, like, a, like a smoked ham. That's that's you know very very Texas Chainsaw, and like I said in the um the first episode we we did about this is his whole his house and the tunnels and and you know, where he lived with Mrs. Voorhees it, it looks like an escape room, it looks like it looks like something where you're supposed to find a bunch of clues <laughs> and and figure them out with a little you know group of your your coworkers or your or your you know in the middle of the family reunion to figure out where Clay's sister is. I can't imagine. Of worse fate than trying to get through an escape room with my family. I really, really feel like that might might be the end of me. I might have to give up. My ghost might leave my skeleton and just leap out of my mouth. <laughs> Clay tries to to reload the batteries into his flashlight, and Jason appears with a a, a headless body, who I guess assume is Nolan. But I mean, he is didn't cut Nolan off the head it, of. Or is it Donnie? Uh, oh, it might be Donnie. Why? Why is he lugging Donnie's body back now after killing Nolan and Chelsea at the lake? Well, I guess because Donnie smoked his weed, and Jason's going to try and get that uh, high by proxy by consuming <laughs> Donnie's body and hoping that there's still enough active THC in his bloodstream. That he can get. <laughs> I don't know if that would work. <laughs> I don't either, but Jason is also like a like you know crazed hillbilly you know redneck living in the woods. Maybe in his you know thought processes, he's thinking, "Hey, there's still a chance to get that weed back." 
so basically, he's kind of a grower and not a knower as far as knowing how that works. Yeah, okay. That makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> Let's move on. There's no better explanation for what happens. <laughs> Uh, Jason, uh, so Clay leaves behind his backpack, which Jason easily sees behind that mask because it might as well be noon with all the light streaming into this camp. It is yeah, it looks very like, it well looks, lit. It looks like it's like uh, filling behind like a, um, a high school football field playing a night game. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I, every once in a while, I, I just expect to hear like, you know, just crowd noise <laughs> in the far off distance. Now all I can think about is that scene in student bodies where they, they make out underneath the bleachers and all the jaw garbage is falling on them. (laughs) Oh my God. Student bodies. Two thirds of a great movie. Love it. (laughs) Um, Masterpiece. So what are, what are the benefits of the uh, Voorhees cave? Because he's Batman now, basically. Uh, it's got everything you need. Multiple trap doors. A hostage that you took six weeks ago. A wheel that you can sharpen your machete on and have a flashback. Um, it's he's, got everything he's got, you like, need. He's got, he's got booby traps. He's got bells that like announce his arrival. Which is, <laughs> yeah. Who is he announcing his arrival to? Oh, no, no. that Those bells are a trap. Are, are, are that string that Jenna trips over. So he knows if that bell rings, they're in X part of the grounds so that he can pop up in, in that, that trap door and get people. Now, see, I, I don't like this. I don't like this, you know, kind of savvy, clever, because it, again, it's like saw where, where, you know, he's, he's very clever. You know, he, he's he's one step ahead of everybody with all these traps and all. It's like, no, I just want him to be a monster who works on instinct. Yeah. And, 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 and not like, you know, setting up these these sly little traps for people and all. It's like, no, I don't want that. I, that This is why I stopped watching horror movies for a while, because every movie was like that for a while, where it was just people getting stuck in these elaborate traps and dying in these like, you you creative but you know ultimately pointless deaths and i just did not enjoy them and you know that's why i took a break for a little while but this is they're trying so many different things and i don't even know if you can fairly call them homages it's just you know well we need a this this is a jason for the 21st century no i don't want that no yeah there's a not your mama's jason mm -mm. thing happening i prefer my mama's jason yeah, I mean he's 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 parkouring. He's moving super fast. He's keeping he, he you know he's holding captives. He's laying traps, and you know he's he's just you know prolonging people's deaths for no reason. It's a it's a little it's a torture porny, and I do not care for it. Yeah, it gives him too too much agency as a killer. I like the supernatural Jason, where there's this idea that it's like. He's almost like this kind of vengeance spirit. And if like you stay out of Crystal Lake, if you stay out of these cursed grounds, then you're safe. Whereas here, he's much more predatory. I mean, where, uh, Donnie, I mean, how close is Donnie even to Crystal Lake? Uh, yeah, it is a mystery as to why he dies. Because if he's a front for Jason, then that's part of the profit plan. And if he's stealing weed, that's another thing. I would like to know that. yeah. I mean, this uh, should, yeah. I mean, I guess that's the assumption the movie wants me to to make because he killed four people who were who two of whom were stealing his weed before, and the fifth one he's taken captive 
and apparently someone is laundering her clothes while she has been trapped on a mattress for six fucking weeks because she, aside from some very wet and tousled hair, she looks just fine. Like, I wish I could look this good after six hours the way she looks this good after six weeks shackled to a dirty mattress. Yeah, it's, it puts him too much in the realm of like a guy you see on the six o'clock news like they bust into some guy's house and find out he's been keeping a woman chained up in a back room. Yeah, he's like a he's more like a serial killer. And it's like, yeah, he's supposed to be a serial killer. He's just supposed to be, you know, he's a monster. And yeah. that's, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why why part six works so well, because they lean into that. Exactly. You know, he's, yes. He's not really a person. He's a monster. Exactly. I think this is where the movie lacks for trying to have its cake and eating it too, is that it wants to be every kind of Jason and they, they pick the right actor for it. I don't, I don't think it's not a real problem with his physicalization of, of the character. It has to do with the, the script machinations of how his character is constructed and that's where it's not my favorite look on Jason Voorhees. Oh, yeah. Derek Mears physically is a fantastic Jason. Yeah. I mean, if they were going to uh, continue on the series, I would completely vouch for bringing him back. It's just yeah. how the writers have chosen to retool who Jason Voorhees is. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to his Swamp Thing because I, I think he's going to be a fantastic Swamp Thing. Oh, and he's just um, a fantastic guy, too. I've just got to give a shout out there. Uh, yeah. I got a, I got a chance to meet him at a uh, horror convention probably about four years ago, and my brother tried to pay him for a photo, and he told my brother, I can't take this. I'm still working. A lot of other guys here can't work anymore. Go ahead and give this to them, and ga- <laughs> gave my brother his money back. That man, Derek Mears, uh, may be a national treasure. Uh, that is a fantastic story. Uh, it says a lot about him. Uh, we love Derek Mears here. Um, but let's get back to the movie. He may fortunately or unfortunately be saddled with, um, they, as far as I'm aware, unless you guys saw something, these tunnels are not flooded with toxic waste at midnight. <laughs> no. Okay. So we can uh, check that off of our list. Uh, Whitney, uh, finds the backpack that Jason has swiped off of her brother, Clay, and she realizes, A, it's her brother's, B, that there's a broken GPS unit inside of it. And, oh, looks like someone's been reading Story by McKee. Way to go, guys. And so <laughs> she tears out a wire from inside of it and begins to pick the lock that uh, holds her shackles together. Also, once again, where did Jason get shackles? Um, That's okay. He did crazy stuff in part two and part three, and he did crazy stuff in all this shit. Fine. I, I don't care. I'm not going to be nitpicky like some internet websites might lead you to believe. Um, we're, not gonna get, we're not going to, we're not going to go there. No, we're not going to go there. Okay. So um, listen, uh, Whitney manages to break her bonds and she makes a run for it. She sticks to the uh, side of the lake uh, as a way to get on out of there. Cut to uh, Brie doing a sexy dance for Trent, but also for Lawrence and Chewy. I don't know. It's a weird thing. I've never been in a room where a woman dances solo. <laughs> also, the worst possible fucking song. No one would dance to this. I don't care how much wine you are drinking. 
that there's no amount of wine drunk that's making me solo dance to that piece of shit uh, audio entertainment. But uh, this <laughs> this prompts Lawrence to encourage Chewie to try to seduce Brie, or at least come on to her. And he responds by stating he'd have a better shot fucking a penguin than Brie. And quite frankly, I think he, he is wrong. Penguins are quite adept at avoiding predators both in and out of the water. That's right. I've been to an aquarium lately. Humble brag. <laughs> Just how much time did you spend at that aquarium? So much time looking at that uh, piece of information tacked onto a wall and reading it to my son. Um, so uh, during <laughs> his flaming drink seduction of her, Chewie manages to burn his lip and then break a chair that causes Trent to flip the fuck out. Uh, Chewie states that he can fix it. Uh, they don't call me the wood wizard just because I masturbate a lot is his line. Once again, Chewie, the best written character. In this entire movie. Greater 100%. words have never been spoken. 100%. <laughs> um, we then get a very long uh, Friday the 13th monologue. Something we just adore here. The only thing missing from this is an old-timey impersonation. I really feel someone should have whispered in his ear, give us an old-timey impersonation. And then... I would be bowing at this movie's feet. <laughs> Just something that would only make sense if you had watched a Bugs Bunny cartoon lately. Well, I think I that like, it, this is, this is, you know, the, 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 the monologue, you know, the characters talking to themselves, which is, you know, like, like the color red in the sixth sense is usually an indicator that, that uh, something terrible is about to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, this is probably the only one that actually sounds kind of natural. Like, like, uh, I mean, everybody has just wandered around the house, just muttering to themselves, <laughs> particularly if they're, if they're angry at somebody and yeah. you're just, you know, just talking around the house, just, you know, talking shit about this person because they can't hear you. you know? <laughs> it's like, they don't, they know, you know, they can't hear you. So you're just kind of, you know, you talking to this imagined version of them. And then, you know, and Trent deserves every last drop of, 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 you ire that he directs at him in this, you know, monologue is just, (laughs) and he's just bashing everything in this stupid sports equipment shed. (laughs) Um, Before we, where he rightfully points out that there's no reason there should be a hockey stick in there. No, there is no reason for any of that stuff to be in there. Uh, Let's get back to the details of that amazing shed. Uh, We only cut back to uh, Brie finally getting the chance that she's always wanted to seduce Trent, which I think would have required asking him. Oh, yes, that's all it takes. Just asking him to come with her. And the next thing we see, they're in bed together. This does present the one sequence uh, where Trent delivers lines that made me genuinely laugh, both in the theater and watching it again now. And they are him constantly uh, giving her compliments on her breasts. It just sounds so natural. (laughs) His awkwardness and him trying to come up with new adjectives does sound very real. And for whatever reason, your tits are stupendous. You have perfect nipple placement still makes me laugh (laughs) because they do not make him look cool and they are not meant to. 
It's a little, it's a little Patrick Bateman ish. I think. <laughs> Going yeah. back to this being the Ready Stanella's Friday the Thirteenth. <laughs> yeah, I mean a little bit. If you're if you're able, you know, nipple placement. That's a little. <laughs> that's a little cringy. I'm like, it's like you've been, you've been, yeah, you've been paying too much attention to like you know you anatomy posters or something. <laughs> that's gonna be like, yeah, I'm putting my shirt back on. You know, that's that's a that's a buzzkill right there. But they've given it to the cringy character. They haven't given that to a character we're supposed to consider cool. So that's why I kind of enjoy it. I don't enjoy it because I think it is the best, most well-written line in the world. I think they've given the proper line to the proper character. We're kind of leaving out poor uh, poor Lawrence, who does not get a lot to do in this movie. I mean, I, oh, I, 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 I mean, untrue. I, well, Untrue. I mean, yeah, he, he gets Gina. to he gets to almost masturbate in the living room of his friend's parents' hunting lodge. And I mean, <laughs> who among us has not taken that opportunity to just, you know, you're at you're staying at people's house and everybody's just gone off doing whatever. Well, time for a little me time, I guess. <laughs> That's right. Once you see that winter catalog of fully clothed people, it's time to <laughs> slightly turn to the left and masturbate so that the deer head does not look at you directly um you know when i so i saw this the first time i was when he looked up and saw that deer head i was halfway expecting him to put the catalog away and, <laughs> and just just keep looking at the deer head <laughs> oh defying expectations that's what friday the 13th 2009 is all about. So let's get back to poor Chewie. Um, he finds the scotch cabinet. You do not, do, do not shoot 18-year-old scotch. And I say this as a person who knows because I am old. Um, don't do that. Enjoy scotch for fuck's sake. Um, but everything else in that entire area, he's absolutely correct about. You do not need half that shit. You certainly do not need skis in South Jersey as Gina has broken the internet with her observation that what do you need skis for? Are you skiing to the Wawa <laughs> and just lit the internet on fire on Friday? <laughs> this is the thing. Um, now, uh, you, you and I were talking through, through email, this was actually shot in Bastrop, Texas. And now, in terms of like placement, where is Bastrop in relation to like Austin? Uh, just outside of Austin. It's very okay. close to Austin. It's, you know, like within very quick driving distance to Austin. Sure. And Bastrop is part of, what do they call it? The, the Lost Pines region or the Wandering Pines region because it is very pine heavy in a part of Texas where pine trees should not grow. Mm-hmm. And the thing that kills me about this movie is that they don't even try to cover up that they shot this in Texas because other than the cast, the main cast, all the incidental characters have West Texas accents. (laughs) Donnie and the creepy old woman who apparently knows about Jason and is cool with his killing spree in the gas station. They all sound like they're from West Texas. So do you think their intention was to literally transport Friday the 13th from its New Jersey roots to Texas and just didn't bother? Or they figured no one would notice. Like, certainly 
Horror Incorporated did not think people would notice when they transplanted it from New Jersey to Southern California, let's say. And you can instantly tell because everything is fucking brown. Here, they don't care at all that they're showing you scene after scene of limestone walls near lakes, which is something that is very prevalent in Texas, not so much in South Jersey. Do you think they like, I don't think people will notice well, see, or. Here, well, so here's the thing is that there, there is a Jersey license plate watching this last night. I paused it when the missing poster is on the back of their car. They do have Jersey really? plates, but, wow. but if this, even if they're supposed to have driven down to, Texas from New Jersey, in which case, why the hell would you take that drive? Again, why, why are there skis? There is no place in Texas where you are going to ski. What are you skiing to the Whataburger? Yeah. Boom! Reference joke. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, there's all sorts of wacky. Uh, again, hockey sticks, South Jersey, not known for its hockey. Another place, not known for its hockey, Texas. So there's just this cacophony of discordant things there. And I think I'm fine with it when it's a display of conspicuous consumption and not so much as when it's genuine set dressing. Like they put that hockey stick there so that they could make the hockey joke. So, but why would you have it, man? Why? Gina, what is your take on this? Well, I, I clearly, you know, you know Trent, Trent's family is is you know, the the scion of the Dick Sporting Goods Sporting <laughs> Goods chain, and that's just the overstock that they can't get rid of at the end of every season. Sure, they they're they're living off that overstock life. I mean, I, I think guess. that if you looked a little further, you'd probably see like you know a, a box of badminton shuttlecocks, uh, <laughs> you know, some 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 scuba diving equipment because uh-huh. you know, you're you're at least going to you know, use scuba diving equipment in South Jersey, you know, as much as you would use a hockey stick. So I don't know, th- you know, those, those waters were pretty clear when we saw Chelsea from underneath. Well, true, but you're still not skiing though. You're definitely yeah, not, not skiing. Skiing is right out. Um, so in, during the sequence, we get a bit of a reversal to Jason's traditional use of using your fuck style against you. Here, he sees that Trent and Bree are in the midst of sex, but decides not to interrupt them. I'm going to let them enjoy themselves a little longer. Well, I think what he's assuming here is that the he and forecasting their fuck style knows that they will be caught by Jenna and therefore <laughs> that the confusion and the anger that causes that that is caused by that reveal will make the players there split up. And so that is how he's using people's fuck style against that. That is some extremely remarkable foresight. (laughs) Listen, I'm not Jason Voorhees. I'm just reporting on what the man has done for over two years. He would have to, to know that, that Jenna and Trent are a couple. Are they? I've never, I was never quite, clear on that because she didn't they don't really seem to like each other very much but 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 yeah boy is he annoyed but she goes off with clay the, um, the amount of couples who i met who were in their 20s who genuinely liked one another i could probably count on one hand well well that's true but he would he would so jason would have to 
you know, would have to assume that Jenna would just go off for several hours alone with another man that she's just met and then assume that, that, that Brie would successfully get Trent into bed and then assume that Jenna would come back just in time to catch them. There's a lot of there's a lot of assuming going on here. Yes, there is. Welcome to the Friday the 13th franchise, Gina. <laughs> We're assuming uh, walks around with a hockey mask on. I, I uh, personally, I, I think more that Jason's just you know, you know, sex positive for the 21st century. <laughs> he wants to let them enjoy themselves one last time before he does them in. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm down with that interpretation too. Well, we'll see how it plays out uh, over the long haul. Uh, needless to say, we cut back to uh, that uh, shed. As it was so referred to the shed that has multiple walls. Um, and uh, we see that Chewie is playing around with a basketball, manages to damage something, then picks up a hockey stick, manages to bust a light. And finally, uh, Jason appears behind him. He then offers Jason the hockey stick as it would complete his ensemble. Uh, and Jason pays him back for this joke by pushing him up against the wall and then kind of choking him a little and then forcing a screwdriver through the front of his neck into the base of his brain. I'd say that's where the direction it's heading. It is prolonged in a way that it. most deaths are I not hate prolonged. it so much. I, like, I, I, skipped, I skipped over it because I hate it so much. It's creepily sexual. It's like he's throat fucking him with the screwdriver. And <sighs> especially like what you're talking about, like he just got done watching these two going at it in the bedroom. There's this, this very dark subtext to like what his motivation is for doing this that I don't particularly care for. Yeah. And, and, and like I said before, it's, it feels very personal in a, in a, in a, in a, in a weird way. Like, like, you know, okay. You, you have nothing against this, this guy. You never even met him before. And you're just like, like you torturing him to death. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah you, you're right. And it's like, you know, I'm going to you you shove this thing sort of, you know, this vaguely phallic object into your face. I mean, and he was going to shove that phallic object into his face one way or the other. I just think it would be more effective if it happened fast. Then you know what it, it reminded me of? But it, it doesn't it, benefit anything by happening slow. It reminds me of, remember Saving Private Ryan? Yes. And remember um, Private Mellish, how the, 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 uh, the German soldier captures him? And he kind of slowly pushes a knife into his chest mm-hmm. and how, and how is it's just like, it's, it's horrible. It's, it's so brutal, especially because he's like trying to keep him quiet. And, and it's just, that reminded me a lot of that. And it's like, you know, don't, don't reference saving private Ryan, in your fucking slasher movie. You know? like, and this is not the place for that. You take that elsewhere. No. And I, I don't know if that was intentional, but it's definitely what it reminded me of. Yeah. I I think you might have nailed that one. Like they they're like, you remember that? Let's try something like that. It's like, well, this isn't really the time or place for this. Remember how awful and terrible and 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 cringeworthy that scene was? Well, here it is again with this, you know, this pothead teenager. You know, <laughs> it's like that the audience grows to love, and yeah. then he's tortured to death for no reason. Yeah, I I enjoy more of the quick brutality. Yeah. Uh, then, then, then this uh, sort of display and something about it just uh, strikes me wrong for a, a good half dozen reasons. 
I mean, the old school Jason would have killed this kid with a screwdriver, but he would have, like, jammed it into his eye or jammed it into his ear or just into the top of his head, and it would have been, bam, dead. Yeah. It, you know, you can, you can do this. You can show gore. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to do that. And you can show him still being half alive after it just happens and then falling to the ground. There's, I don't have a problem with that. But the extended, like, it, it's, it becomes comical at a certain point because there, there'd be no way once the, the, the screwdriver is inserted into this dude's throat that he's still exerting the kind of force to stop Jason Voorhees from doing it. So what the fuck is going on here? It just doesn't, it, it makes much less sense than, uh, uh, than any of the other deaths in this thing. It just, it's needlessly cruel. Whereas we've seen some, we've seen like the, 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 uh, the, oh man, I got to cut out all of that stammering. The sleeping bag over the fire death. Oh, God. Is, yeah. is shocking and it's unusual, but it's also weirdly iconic. Like it just, it, I, I don't view, I, it, it weirdly did not seem as torturous as, let's say, spoiler alert for Mandy what happens in Mandy. That to me seems way more torturous than that campfire sequence because the campfire sequence ends in 15 seconds. And what happens in Mandy seems to last half an hour. <laughs> like everything else in Mandy, it's a half an hour I enjoy watching, but still it, it takes a really long time and it's torture for a reason. And I don't, believe that torture with any sort of reasoning works in Friday the 13th. Right. And, and I, I feel that, you know, giving, giving a run for, you know, you Chewie's death as far as most un, unnecessary and I, I would out of character be, be, be the right way to put it is it's not in, in this segment, but it's what happens to Lawrence where like, okay, Jason's never said anybody else as bait before. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like again this is so you know awful and unenjoyable <laughs> well we will we will get to that of course but right now we have a responsibility to ourselves and our listeners it's time to choose our own death venture that's right uh if you were forced to die in one of the three ways presented in this segment of the film which would you choose and why up for bid in this episode we have arrow through the head boat to head slash machete through the head and then screwdriver through neck into the back of your brain and Preston as our guest I choose you to go first oh arrow to the head in the boat yeah easy quick apparently painless and I get to die driving around an attractive woman topless on a pair of water skis <laughs> does guy guy goes out on a high note doesn't even know what hit him this is true. And I, I have a feeling we might be three for three on this one. Gina would say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah def- definitely uh, arrow in the head because I, I am fully dressed when my body is found, which is which is important to me. No, you are uh, not. You are half dressed. You're, you have taken off your fuck Christmas shirt before it happens. Ah, oh, damn it. I love that shirt. Oh, fine. Maybe, right. maybe, they can, maybe they can maybe they can bury me in it um, <laughs> that's the most important part i'm sure you have dozens of those in your drawer at home and your family knows that that is how you wish to it's, be, it's in uh, my it's in my my will yes yeah. Uh, but yeah i that's really the only one of these that, that i even you know, 
found like kind of entertaining for you know lack of a less horrible way of putting it but it's just like it was like it was quick it was unexpected i thought it 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 worked much better in the spirit of the series yeah i'm not uh, listen under normal circumstances i wouldn't say there would be much of a difference between taking a machete through the top of my head uh then taking an arrow through my head but uh you're terrorized and take a boat to the forehead in the uh, second scenario so i'm absolutely taking the arrow through my head also i would look like ryan hansen and that's the most important thing of all how you look and so let's end it there on the perfect note for kill by kill uh preston uh, where can people find you and the many products you produce uh, on these internets? Uh, I'm on Twitter. It's at Preston Fossil. Uh, that's uh, P-R-E-S-T-O-N-F-A-S-S-E-L. And I'm also on Facebook under the same. And uh, you can find our Lady the Inferno on Amazon.com or through Barnes & Noble. It is my uh, neon-drenched new wave ode to 1980s horror cinema and has at least two Friday the 13th shout-outs in it. Uh, it is my uh, it's my kind of flipping the script on traditional 1980s slasher stories. It is a slasher with a both female protagonist and a female villain. It's about the, uh, the events leading to the showdown between two alpha women of the 80s uh, Ginny, who is a 21-year-old streetwalker who's a runaway from the Midwest, who is much more than meets the eye, and Nicolette Astor, who is a safety inspector at the Staten Island Landfill, who moonlights as a serial killer who travels into Times Square after dark to kidnap women and bring them back to the garbage dump to hunt after hours. And as uh, Nicolette unfortunately finds out, Ginny is much more brilliant and much more dangerous than even her. All right. Uh, hitting by now. Click. <laughs> done and done. And of course, um, the new edition of Fangorio, do we know exactly when that will hit the streets? Uh, actually, by the time this goes up, it'll, it should be out. Uh, Wonderful. The first issues are shipping October the 2nd. Excellent. I cannot wait. Gina, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I write about old television and movies and pop culture at my website, GinaRadcliffe.com. I am also uh, one of the critics at AlkaHollywood.com, and I am on Twitter at Porcelain72. Excellent. Do it today, people. If you want to reach out to us, there's a few simple ways to do it. On Twitter, at KillByKillPod. Of course, you can email us, KillByKillPod at gmail.com if you have something longer than 280 characters to say. And we're on Instagram, KillByKillPodcast. We have the Facebook page and group where you can discuss the show in more detail. Of course, you can support us on Patreon. Um, And uh, please do so. Uh, This uh, podcast does have expenses believe it or not and uh, we'd like to cover them uh that would be neat uh it would mean so much to us and of course if you do not have the spare change to do that uh you can also just rate and review us on itunes if you tell us what your favorite uh kill is in the entire friday the 13th franchise we'll talk about it here on the air that is our solemn promise to you the kill by kill listener it's part of our uh benefits for being yes. a patreon supporter mm-hmm. uh one of them we have to mention the people who donate to us 
Please do so. So um, it's a short list so far. Not that I'm saying, not that I am uh, saying that with any meaningful tone in my voice, but um, after a couple of days we have, and I'm just going to uh, read them as they are entered on Patreon. Uh, Stephen Brogy, he was our very first Patreon supporter. Um, Paul, Morgan Ferdinand, Megan Sunday, John Brandon, Don Gildenmeister, and Anna Hustler. Thank you so much. We love you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We thank you from the bottom of our coal black hearts. And so that just about does it. But don't worry, folks. The body count will continue. So until next time, for myself, for Gina, and for Preston, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.